um, identity. Identity is uh, something that people have that is informed by, uh, well, so many things really, by everything in their upbringing. And, and it's this kind of stable sense of self, this sense of uh, being connected to a part of yourself that stays stable through your lifespan. That's what identity is supposed to be. It's this thing that kind of, it's like people would call it like a sense of self. And um, we actually really are attached to identity in our culture. We really like this idea of identity and it's really offensive for people in our culture to talk about change. When we talk about like wanting to change ourselves, but if you ever talk about actually wanting to change somebody, like I have couples who come in <clears throat> and they'll be like, yeah, I want him to change. I mean, I don't want to change him, but I want him to be different, you know, and they have real trouble kind of finding language about how they want their partner to be changed. And, and uh, they'll be like, I don't really want to change who he is, but I just want everything about him to be changed or something like that, you know, and, it, and it's hard for them to find that. And then, and sometimes I'm like, well, you don't want to change. Why are you here? I mean, if you're coming to see a psychologist, you're coming to change, uh, to change yourself and to change how you behave and all these things. And but that line between like changing yourself and like changing everything that you do can be fuzzy for people because we really want to kind of honor people. We live in such a, a society that that's all about tolerance of different identities that we want, uh, we don't want to touch that part of us. Um, but in the reality, in, in reality, uh, as a psychologist, what I'm actually trying to help people to develop is psychological flexibility that they can actually be able to change themselves. Um, that we can be able to change what they do, how they behave, and everything about how they see themselves in order to be able to cope with the different stresses and different realities that we face and how you move from a background that maybe didn't prepare you or kind of set you up in a way that was unhelpful and how you can kind of be able to move into the world in a, in a better way. And so how do we change? Uh, how do we develop a sense of self in a time when our identities are potentially being devastated. Um, do you know who you are now? And has that already been changed by what you've been going through? Um, those are the kind of questions that, um, that are really important right now. Because as your circumstances change, your roles change, your responsibilities change, your behavior changes, and that can disrupt a lot of people's kind of sense of self. Now, if you're a Christian, if you're a good Christian, um, if you're a good Christian, then you would probably have an answer like, I'm a child of God and I have my identity in Christ. I have nothing against that. That's a good answer. Um, there is a, a concern, though, because oftentimes I think Christians will kind of lose their own personal identity. There's this idea or... I don't think anybody really says it, but there's this feeling that can happen in people where they feel like they become part of a faceless choir in heaven, where you kind of put on the white t-shirt, you go stand in your place that, you know, uh, and then you're there. And I don't know, I guess I just do what everybody else is doing. It's almost kind of feels a little like, I don't know, just you lose yourself. There's, there's no you anymore. You are now in heaven and you kind of just do what you're supposed to do. And I don't know. There's really no choice anymore. And it kind of feels like really it's sin that gives us a choice because we all sin differently. And that's what gives us our identity is how we break the rules. And if you just follow the rules, then do you really have a sense of self anymore? Now, I don't think anybody would actually say that, that Christians are supposed to feel that way. But if we're all having our identity in Christ, then there can be that feeling of, well, then we're all Christ. And then who am I? I'm Christ. And then what do I represent? I, and to tell you the truth, I don't know if I have a super 
clear answer on how everybody develops their identity in Christ and how you remain unique. I think it's really clear in heaven that we do have uniqueness in heaven for sure. Um, there's lots of different ways that people talk about that. One of them that I really like and I've talked about before is how we each get our own name that we have between us and Jesus. Um, that's a reward that he gives people. Uh, and so there is this kind of uniqueness and even secret identity that we have with God and how, uh, and how that works, which is, it means that we're supposed to be special. We're each supposed to be different and not just like one of the, you know, spiritual gifts. We have like this number, you know, we got like our 10 things, you know, that we can choose between on what our identity is, but like really unique to you. You get to be special in your own way, different from everybody else. And I think that's really important for Christians to know, um, because, uh, we want to be able to develop our own expression of ourselves. And today though, we're going to talk about kind of how that gets devastated and then how we can, uh, how that, what that means and how we rebuild it. I was, uh, kind of preparing for today and apparently, you know, it's actually a bit of a disaster. We kind of had lots of volume problems and, and different things. And I don't, don't know exactly why that is, but I was trying to think of just these different things that we can do. Cause when I get a new toy, like a new tool, like kind of video production equipment, I can kind of have some fun and start doing that. And, uh, so I was, I was playing with ideas and I was thinking of different things we could do. And then all of a sudden I, I thought of this idea. I was like, Oh, we'll have this title come up. We didn't actually do it, but it was like, I'll have this title, like kind of like, okay, you know, like COVID moment of the week and like have these letters come down like with the sound effects and, and I was thinking about it and I was, I was like, where did I get that from? And I thought of um, David Letterman and I was like, oh, that's like what David Letterman, like top 10 of the week, right? And I don't know if you guys have like seen David Letterman before, uh, but when I was a teenager, I used to actually watch a lot of David Letterman and I'm not recommending it, but it is, it is a reality. That's what I was doing back then. And um, so I was thinking, oh, hey, that's, that's where I got that from. And maybe how, I wonder how much, that's affected me. I wonder how much that's affected how I think about things and how that's, that's affected my sense of humor and how I think about, you know, telling jokes or videos or different things like that. And I wonder how much that's going to affect me. And then, um, and then I thought of something funny about David Letterman is you might remember David Letterman from before. And some of you, maybe he's been a little bit active now more recently too on Netflix and things. And so you might notice that you might know what his look is, but it's quite different. His look is quite different than it was before here. I'll show you what it looks like, what he looks like now. So that's David Letterman now. He looks quite a bit different. He almost looks a little bit like a kind of upset Santa Claus or something like that. And um, I'm just looking at it now. <laughs> it's kind of funny. Like oh, I'm doing his hands. Yeah, it's like, hi, hi everybody. <laughs> okay. Anyway, so that's David Letterman now. And when I thought of David Letterman and what he looks like now, I was like, oh, he's growing his beard, right? And I'm like, I've been growing my beard. I've been growing my, my beard out more and more, maybe my quarantine beard. I think, I, I don't know, I've gotten some, people have been saying different things about it. But anyway, I've, uh, I've got a beard now and I was like, oh my goodness, am I becoming David Letterman? And then I, I looked at him and I looked at myself. It's <laughs> like, oh no, I'm becoming David Letterman. <laughs> so that's my, that's my scared I'm becoming David Letterman face. I'm going to get that off the screen now. <laughs> I was like, oh, Am I becoming David Letterman? Is this how I'm, I'm going to become? And I was, and then I thought of the topic for today. And I was like, oh, it's identity devastation. And I felt a little <laughs> shaken in my identity and <laughs> what I'm doing. And uh, so this is probably going to spark a prayer chain <laughs> across Maple Crest that, uh, that uh, I not become uh, David Letterman. And so anyway, we're, we're affected. 
uh, by everything around us, including kind of the shows that we watch. And um, particularly, we're affected by uh, the people that we imagine, the people around us, particularly when we imagine things from their perspective or something. It's called like um, mentalization, when you kind of almost have this empathic kind of perspective taking with somebody else. And they've looked at people who have actual real difficulties with their identity and developing their identity. And one of the things that they have trouble with is perspective taking. They have difficulty mentalizing what other people are thinking and feeling. And so they have difficulty creating their own identity because they can't take these pieces from their surroundings as well to create themselves. And um, so we see that particularly, I won't mention the disorders, but particularly around these disorders around uh, identity. And so, um, and so that's interesting because as, as we're around the people that we grow up with, we're taking their perspective and then we take that into ourselves. And, um, and then we kind of develop ourselves, but if we have trouble, we can't do that. I wanted to talk about Moses today because Moses kind of has an interesting identity story and how he, and you can kind of see this mentalization process, how he takes on the perspective uh, of different things as he goes, or uh, of the royal world when he was in uh, Pharaoh's, when he, when he was growing up with Pharaoh and his royalty. So if you don't know the story, Pharaoh, uh, Moses was kind of a Hebrew, and uh, his uh, he was put in the reeds and picked up by uh, Pharaoh's daughter, and um, he grew up in the palace, even though he was a Hebrew, and the Hebrews were slaves in Egypt. And so he had this kind of dual identity thing happening, where he was kind of had this royal uh, group around him, but he was identified with the slaves in the land. And so this is what happens when Moses gets older. Uh, in Exodus, Exodus 2, verse 11, it says, One day when Moses had grown up, he went out to his people and and looked on their burdens. So he's looking at the Hebrews and their burdens, and he saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his people. So he all of a sudden said, hey, these are my people. And he uh, looked this way and he looked that, and nobody was around. And seeing no one, he struck down the Egyptian and then hid the Egyptian in the sand. So killed the Egyptian and put the body in the sand. And this is one of the first kind of recorded acts of Moses. And then I'll just go into it quickly, like what the Israelites then react to Moses. And it's very interesting. Uh, when Moses was, when he was, went out the next day, behold, two Hebrews were struggling together. Moses saw that. And Moses, and he said to the man uh, in the wrong, he said, why do you strike your companion? Moses said that. And the man answered, who made you prince and a judge over us? Did you mean to kill me as you killed the Egyptian? Then Moses was afraid and thought, surely the thing is known. And when Pharaoh heard it, he sought to kill Moses. So Moses actually went after, sorry, Pharaoh actually went after Moses. But Moses fled from Pharaoh and stayed in the land of Midian. And he sat down at a well. So Moses grew up in this royal identity, right? He's surrounded by royalty. But then he walks and he tries to uh, identify with his people who are slaves. And what you see is this clash of identities. And Moses doesn't do a very good job here. He's, he's um, mentalized with, he's um, understood and taken the perspective of royalty his whole life, all these people around him, informing himself. And then he goes out in slaves and there's a completely different mindset amongst slaves. There's a slave mindset. 
and he takes this royal mindset and then he goes and says, now I'm a Hebrew. And his first thing is to react like a royal, right? He reacts as a royal would. Like if, if a, uh, somebody came and beat a royal, what would happen? They would be executed. So Moses is really reacting like a royal as if his people were royals because that's now his, his understanding. And so he does what a royal would do. If, if a royal's brother or people were being attacked, they would execute them. So he's taking this royal identity and then he's trying to connect with the slaves and he's like, well, what would happen for my people? I'm going to do it for them. What would be done for me? I'm going to execute the person who's, I'm going to seek justice. This is how you treat people who treat royalty this way. And so he kind of does this and he kills the Egyptian like any royal would. And, um, and then the slaves come back and they have a totally, and, and I'm sure Moses is shocked because they react differently than any royal would. A royal would be like, thank you. And, you know, like, this is just what you've done. Like, you've killed the people who were beating us. But the slaves see Moses as a threat. And um, they're in a slave mindset where beating is kind of part of everyday life. And they're like, what are you doing? You know, like, I don't need you doing this. You're just another, you're just another uh, royal. Like, we, we don't need you. Uh, and Moses is surprised. He's like, oh my goodness, what's happening? Like, this is, first of all, he's surprised because it's known and he all of a sudden, you know, he knows he's in trouble. But just, I can imagine inside of him where it's like, oh, they're not thankful. They're not standing up and fighting with me. They're not royals. They don't react the same way that we would react. They are slaves. They are in their position. And you see this through the history of the Hebrews as they, as they exit Egypt, the slave mentality of, oh my goodness, it's better to be slaves than to be free. They are in their own identity. And the whole story of Exodus is Moses, this whole thing that's captured in this first moment of Moses killing this Egyptian plays out for the rest of his life where in that moment he was trying to free the Hebrews and his whole life story becomes about freeing the Hebrews and taking a people who are in a slave mindset and taking them out of that slave mindset. So he does this kind of picture of his whole identity in the beginning, but he does it really badly. Uh, he, he can't understand, and maybe he has trouble understanding it his whole life, understanding the slave mindset. And he's always frustrated with these people who are trying to get back to being slaves, to get back to their identity. And he's this royal, and he's like, don't you want to get out of this? Like, come on, uh, step into this royal identity, stand up for yourselves. So there's this identity conflict that happens. And when Moses leaves, he runs away from Egypt. Uh, Pharaoh's you know, going to kill him. So he runs away after he kills the Egyptian. And he uh, goes to Midian. And he continues. He continues in his royal identity. He's, it's like the first thing that happens next, at least it's recorded, is now the priest of uh, Midian had seven daughters. And they, um, they came and drew water and filled the troughs uh, to water their father's flock. So these women are trying to get some water and a shepherd's come and drove them away, drove these daughters away. But Moses stood up and saved them. So he saves the, um, his people, his feet, uh, the Hebrews and he gets in trouble for it, but he continues on. Identity is something that sticks with you. It's like, he can't just shed it. He can't just get rid of it like that. Um, it's with him. And so he continues and he's saves these, uh, these women who are trying to get some water and the shepherds drove them away, but Moses stood up and saved them and watered their flock. And he got a wife out of it this time. He actually uh, did quite well. And Moses uh, met the father of these uh, women and uh, he gave, uh, this father gave one of the daughters to him. And 
um, so it actually works out for him. And he then stays in Midian and he becomes this person who's there and he's living out this identity. And, um, and in other contexts, when people aren't, um, when he saved a Hebrew, he got into trouble. But when he saved a free person, he was actually rewarded, uh, you know, in this case. So you, um, you have to understand kind of what you're interacting with. There wasn't as much of an identity clash with the Midianites as there was with the Hebrews. So uh, one of the things that happens in trauma is uh, when you are afraid, when you have fear, um, you have difficulty, one, actually forming an identity because your identity will be formed um, in a way that is going to work with the people around you. So you're going to have difficulty expressing yourself. You're going to have difficulty even finding your identity because it's not safe. And so when you grow up in trauma, you have real difficulty forming your identity. You're going to form it in a way that makes sense with the people around you, which was happening to the Hebrews. They're growing up as slaves. It's too dangerous to express themselves freely. So they, they form a slave uh, identity. The other thing that happens with fear is that it actually reveals your identity. When you are put into a stressful circumstance, your identity becomes clear on who you really are. And, and uh, Matthew 10 talks about this. In Matthew 10, verse 34, it says, Do not think that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I have come to bring, I have not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I have come to set a man against his father, and a daughter against her mother, and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And a person's enemy will be those of his own household. Whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life will lose it. And whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Um, when the sword comes, when fear comes, it reveals your identity. It reveals who you have been mentalizing with. So if you have, and we're supposed to, we mentalize, we take on the perspective of our, of our daughters, we take on the perspective of our fathers, of our mothers, of our sisters, of our brothers, we, we mentalize with them, we form an identity around them. And then when the sword comes, when difficulty comes, it reveals our identity, it reveals who you really are and who you have become. And when the sword comes, the question is, will you go with your human identity, with this identity that you formed with other people around you? Or will you go with the identity of, of Christ? Will you, have you mentalized with Christ? Have you followed, um, have you taken his perspective and attached yourself to him? Will you follow him? The sword, fear, this difficult time will bring out the choice. And that's what we're going to see in the nations. We're going to see a divide. We're going to see this clear division as the sword cuts, it's going to, it's going to cut people to decide where they really are. And a lot of the people in that lukewarm zone are going to have to go from one or the other. They're going to have to make their choice when the sword comes. And so this is really important is where your identity really is. And when the sword comes, it's actually, um, it's actually really going to reveal it. Do you identify, uh, with Christ? Now, Moses up until this point in the story, <clears throat> now he has a, has a royal identity, and he, but he doesn't have that from God. He has that from Egypt. He has it from royalty. So, and I, I mean, you guys have probably already been thinking about this, which is Moses had a leg up on the Egypt, on the, on the Hebrews because, um, a, a royal identity is closer to a, a, a heavenly identity than a slave identity. 
Um, if you are going to go into the courts as a son of a king, as a son of God, as a as a as a friend of God, as as um, this recreated person who uh, is a child and of Christ, um, you are uh, you are going to probably be being brought into this. You're going to be being brought into this royal identity, and so Moses was closer to that. He and which is why when you kind of look at his beginnings as kind of saving people and a kind of like justice, it actually resonates more with the kingdom. But it's not. It's not actually truly. Uh, you know, a fully uh, developed Christian, you know, uh, Christ follower identity. It's just based on his uh, responses to um, the palace. And you can see it later on in his life when it's tested. When his identity is displayed, the sword comes for Moses. Um, the sword didn't come when he killed the Egyptian. Um, I mean, it was difficult and it revealed who he was, but that wasn't the, the big sword that was coming in his life. The sword comes later, um, and it's in Exodus um, 3 and 4 here. And it's in this burning bush moment. That's the sword in Moses' life, or one of them anyway. When all of a sudden, God says, you have to choose between what you've developed, which is maybe not pretty comfortable, and me. You have to, you have to show me that you're willing to go with my identity for you. So Moses comes from this background where he tried to save the Hebrews and he got driven out and chased by the Pharaoh out of the land. And later in his life, God calls him not just to save somebody who's having trouble, but to save somebody who rejected him, to save his enemy, to save the people who said, go away and didn't listen to him. So when God says to Moses, I want you, I have heard the cry of my people, I want you to go, and I want you to free the Hebrews. I mean, it's in his royal identity to do that, but it's not in his royal identity to go and save an enemy. It's not in his royal identity to go and save somebody who rejected his justice. Um, and so Moses fights back. He, he says to God, he says, they're not going to listen to me, which is what happened. They're not going to listen to me. Um, how, and he, and he, uh, go, they go back and forth like five times. And, and Moses says, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? And God says, uh, you know, I will be with you. Moses says to God, if I go, then they're going to ask me who sent me. And God actually gives Moses his name and he says, I am who I am. And then he says again, the Lord, they're going to tell me that the Lord did not appear to you. And God said to him, and he gave him a staff, and he said, throw it down, and it turned into a serpent. And he picked it up, and it turned back into a staff. And he says, I'm going to give you signs. And then Moses says, but I'm not eloquent. I can't speak. They're not going to listen to me. Don't you know that they're not going to listen to me? This is what happened last time. I was there, and I spoke. I did something. I tried, and they didn't listen to me. And I had nothing to say. I just ran. And God says, I know that you just ran. And this is not like actually, but like, I know you just ran. I know your story. I know that you tried to save them. But who made a man's mouth? Who makes him mute or deaf or seeing or blind? Is it not I, the Lord? And then Moses says, oh, my Lord, please send someone else. I don't really have any more arguments. You're saying you're going to do everything. 
I just don't want to go. I don't want to be that person. It wasn't in his identity. It wasn't in his relationship. He, his identity was based on his royal identity. Uh, it wasn't based on his divine identity, his relationship with God, his divine royalty. And then well, the Lord actually kind of gets angry. The, Lord, uh, the Lord's anger was kindled against Moses and he said, Is there not Aaron your brother, the Levite? I know he can speak well. And basically he says, you got to go. You have to go, Moses. The sword is going to come and it's going to divide. And it's going to show us, the fear is going to show us who we, who we are. And one of the things that I find very comforting is the fact that Moses, um, you know, one of the three who like, like he was on the Mount of Transfiguration with Jesus. Uh, one of the most esteemed um, spiritual fathers that we have started in a place where he didn't have a spiritual identity. He, he had a, an identity that wasn't formed and God decided to work with him. God didn't just say, you know what? If you're not going to do it, I'm just going to go find somebody else. God actually said, I am going to pull you into this. I am going to push you into this. I am not going to give up on you. I'm going to give you help, even though you don't need it. I could speak through you. I'm still going to give you Aaron because you're, you don't have the courage to do this. I am going to give you what you need in order to be able to accomplish this mission that I have for you. I'm going to work with you and I'm not going to give up on you. I love that God worked with Moses. And God gave him everything he needed. Moses grew up and he formed his identity. Um, and I think God was there. God knew what he wanted with Moses from the beginning. And he was shaping it even through those early circumstances. Our lives create our identity. And that's okay. We connect with it. And when the fear comes, it displays who we are. And it also makes it harder to actually walk into our identity. Because Moses was scared... He had difficulty walking into the identity that God had for him. He had difficulty taking that next step. And as we walk into this, we're going to be surprised. Each of us is going to be surprised uh, at who we are and where our identity really is. And there's two things that happen, right? Where it's going to make it like, oh, it's going to be really hard to walk into an identity, not as a slave, but as like a divine, royal priesthood walking into this COVID or trauma or different things like that, not becoming something else other than what God has called you. It's going to reveal your heart and it's going to be hard because right now is this time. It's this opportunity to actually take steps into being even more. It's like Moses could go and be a follower uh, of God before, but this was his moment to really activate something in the kingdom to really be able to, it was his moment and i believe this is our this is a moment for so many of us when we cannot just kind of be in the everyday which is important and we need to do that but this is one of those moments when we actually get to go and do something when we're called by god to be like oh you can really do something now and i know it's frightening and i know you're actually realizing that you're not what you thought you were um you're not who you thought you were you were close 
but there's a gap there still. And I'm going to give you, I'm going to give you reassurance. I'm going to pull, I'm going to prod. And in the end, I'm really going to push because that's how important this is. I'm really going to push you because you're going to thank me for this later. And he's going to pull us into what he's called us to become. And as we do that, what we need to be thinking about right now is that if you want to form that identity, you need to be thinking about things from God's perspective. You need to be thinking about what he thinks about this right now, not what other people are thinking right now. You can listen to other people. uh, You can hear what's going on right now. But when you really want to kind of engage with it, you have to be thinking, what's God saying about this moment? And that needs to be your primary source in order to be able to develop that identity. Okay, so Natasha, come on back into the camera. Let's pray for people. And uh, let's uh, pray that everybody out there can uh, just feel God's presence. Lord, we pray. We pray that um, each person out there, that the identity that they have uh, would be found in you that um, everything that um, that everything that's coming at people right now that they would uh, be comforted by your presence and that um, you would help them to take that next step into who you really are who they really are in you and that we would all each be able to be unique. You know, one of the things I was thinking about when I thought about identity is one of the things that really catches people in their identity is seeing somebody else who's actually walking in their identity. Because oftentimes we can get caught up into be like, I want to be like them. And maybe that's okay. Maybe that's good. We, we kind of form our identity by watching God, by watching godly people. Um, but we have to realize it's okay to be ourselves. That You don't have to be that person. Um, God wants you to develop and find your own place, your own place to be courageous, your own place to find, uh, to express yourself and what God's uniqueness, which means that um, you're going to be the only one doing that particular thing because it's unique. And it's going to be hard to like really know how valuable it is because you're not going to be able to say I'm doing it better or worse because it's unique. And so you need to be able to stand in that and stand in your own expression So, Father, we ask, Lord, that you would reveal each person's own unique expression right now in the name of Jesus. That you would give them uh, what they need, the courage they need to be able to express it and come out with it. Uh, We pray that you would just bring it out of people in the name of Jesus. That you would call them to it. And uh, we pray for prophetic words that would uh, be able to speak it into people's lives in the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. Hmm.